All right. Again, glad to have you here tonight. Uh, we are going to wrap up 1 Kings chapter 2. And in doing so, we're wrapping up our uh, account of the life of David. Next week, Lord willing, uh, great news on two accounts. Uh, it's not me. That's one. And number two, Bruce is leading the study next Wednesday, right? Bruce looks surprised. The material for Bruce is literally coming off, hot off the press. Uh, it should be here by the time we wrap up tonight. There are some folders, some packets. Uh, uh, I won't give away any of his study, but it will be a very good study. So thank you for all the kind remarks that you've had. Uh, I've enjoyed, I was just talking with someone today, that I've enjoyed preparing for this because invariably when you prepare for a study, especially on a text like 2 Samuel, that maybe you don't read as often as some of your uh, more well-worn paths of the New Testament, you pick up on things and learn things and see things that you hadn't seen in, in, in months, if not years. And so we're going to finish up, do a little test, do a little activity if we have time. All right. Last week, we wrapped up by talking about David's final instructions to Solomon um, and what, was, what were his final instructions? We actually talked about this, but we were running out of time, so I wanted to just kind of highlight it. In, in short, there in chapter 2, what was uh, the first 10 or so verses, what, what was he saying to Solomon? Be strong. Show yourself a man. In fact, I think I put up there one of the phones is be a man. And that doesn't mean be, a, be a, a man like strong, big, powerful. It just means be strong and powerful in a spiritual way. Uh, would Solomon be a man? It's kind of, a, kind of a mixed bag in a way, right? There are some things that Solomon would do very, very well and show himself to be a very uh, good leader and godly man. Uh, but does Solomon have his weaknesses? Of course he does. He writes at length about them and sharing that I, I made my fair share of mistakes. Don't repeat them. Uh, verse 3, follow the commands. And then uh, the last thing he said was verses 5 through 9 was to deal with final enemies. And that really uh, lays the groundwork for uh, the last two-thirds of the chapter, which we did not get to because this is where you have the death of David and then what I call the executions begin. Uh, anything else before we get to the last uh, 30 verses or so, chapter 2, and we're going to kind of wrap that up. Anything we did not discuss from last week? All right. Um, who is the first character that's going to be dealt with starting in about verse, well, starting in verse 13. Adonijah is our first character. So here we are, we're dealing with Adonijah in the first 10, eight or nine verses here. Um, the question here that I had is why was the request for Abishag inappropriate? Um, Verse 21, 22, 23. Who can kind of give me a real quick synopsis of what that was about and why this is an issue? Yeah, Brother Allen, thank you. Microphone's on away. In those days, 
having the former king's concubine or women was a sign that you were trying to assume the power. We see that's what Absalom does mm-hmm. when he kind of kicks David out of Jerusalem for a little while. He goes in and he takes his, his concubines openly. So everyone sees he's the king now. Mm-hmm. And so this seems to be kind of an underhanded way that Adonijah is still trying to get his foot in the door and, and get back kind of on the throne, so to speak. Good. I think that's a great synopsis of that. thought I saw another hand. So very good. Thank you, Alan. Uh, yes, it was another way of usurping authority and, and taking a role that wasn't his to be taken. Um, the next character, also starting with an A, is a guy by the name of Abiathar. He is not executed, uh, but he is exiled, thrown out, uh, secluded, whatever word you want to use. My question is why, and, and the text clearly, clearly well, seems to clearly tell us that, but Why? Okay, it goes back to what, verse 27, I think, in the text, where it talks about the judgment. Uh, we talked a little bit about Eli in the Sunday morning sermon, did we not? We talked about uh, sons and raising them appropriately and children in general raising them in an appropriate fashion. Very good. Um, who's the next person to be uh, off with his head? Joab. And we've talked about Joab Probably out of our 13 lesson slots, we've talked about in probably eight of those slots. But we see Joab 28 through 34, 35. And then the last person to be executed, and you're welcome to cheat by just looking at the subtitles in your Bibles there in about verse 36, is who? Shimei or Shimei in the last 11 verses. Um, I didn't put on the slide... But are there lessons that we can learn from the, this series of executions that are transpiring? I think there are, but what are they? Uh, maybe another way of phrasing it. Why is 30 verses, which is a lot of text, uh, used to describe all of this? Microphone's on the way, Leanne. Because when you... Um disobey God and you try to rebel against him, there's a consequence for it. And sometimes that means your life. That has been one of our biggest takeaways of the entire study is the consequences that come as a result of our poor actions that sometimes appear quickly. Sometimes they appear a decade later. Sometimes they appear a generation later. And these people are paying for uh, their poor choices. Other thoughts? That's very good, uh, Leanne. Okay, uh, let me stop there, and we're going to go ahead. Oh, I don't, I hate it when it does that. Hate's a strong word. I probably shouldn't say that. I love it less when it pops up that way. So I'm not going to put them up there yet, because that's going to be your job in just a second. Uh, can I have a couple of volunteers? Uh, so you're going to get a half sheet of paper. Three or four would probably be great. That you said, wait a minute, I think I've seen this before. I think I dreamed about this. Thank you, Chris. And Sam, there should be enough. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Sam. Uh, We did this 12 weeks ago. And we looked at what we thought we knew uh, in 2 Samuel. 
in theory, if we've done well over the last uh, 12, 13 weeks, this is now our 13th week, this will be a whole lot easier, less head scratching, less need to open the text, though it can be open book. Uh, if you need a writing utensil, I have probably 20 pens. Anybody need one? Everyone's got their own? Oh, <laughs> poor Ben. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anybody else need a, something to write with? Okay, no one's going to see your answers. I say that because I don't want anyone to have nightmares tonight about going back to eighth grade. Uh, go ahead and we'll just run through these questions. And I don't have any extras. If, if you don't get one, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Do you, another one? I have one with the answers on it. We did. Okay. We'll just share with a neighbor if, if you don't have one. Um, or just follow along. Uh, so the death of... See, see if we can do this without looking. If you want to look, that's fine. But the death of which two characters is the focus of this kind of poetic uh, thing. Who dies? And we'll just, go, you just go ahead and shout it out if you don't mind. Uh, who dies early on that provides for this almost poetic uh, song of remembrance or elegy? Who, what two characters was, were that? Was, was that? Were that? Saul and Jonathan. And remember, anytime someone dies in the Old Testament... Someone else usually comes in and, and takes over in their place, especially in a monarchy. And Saul, of course, dies. And we talked about how we have good third and fourth grade students. They could tell us that after Saul comes David, after David comes Solomon, after Solomon comes a bunch of kings, right? Um, and we know, some, we know Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And then after that, it gets a little fuzzy for most of us, right? Uh, and that's okay. All right. So Saul and Jonathan, very good. Anything we need to say about Saul and Jonathan that we didn't say 12 weeks ago? Jonathan's going to make an appearance in one of our questions again. Just a minute here. Okay, number two. Uh, who does David mourn for late in chapter three after Joab murdered him? And keeping track of Joab's bad deeds can be a challenging thing. When in doubt in 2 Samuel, it starts with a letter A. We figured that out uh, a couple weeks ago. Who was that? Abner. Abner died and David mourns for him. And we're not going to go back and revisit all of that um, over the course of our time together tonight. Uh, I have a non-conventional way of finishing our class tonight, so hopefully you'll be okay with it. We're going to do another activity here in just a second. All right, number three, who touched the Ark of the Covenant in chapter six and was punished severely? Uzzah. Uzzah. And not to be confused with Another Old Testament character, a king by the name of Uzziah, who got himself in trouble as well, right? Okay. Uh, anybody, anybody three for three so far? You don't want, you, if, I say, if I say I am, I'm boasting. So it's really tough with a spiritual environment to say I got 12 out of 12 or eight out of eight, right? <laughs> no one wants to admit it. Then, we give the, then we'll give the award away to the most humble person, and the moment he or she steps up, we're going to take it away from him. <laughs> Number four, who was Jonathan's son? We talked about Jonathan, and David showed kindness, great gratitude to him. Does not start with an A. Mephibosheth was that character, all right? Some of you are still four for four, I can see, because you're, 
You're rejoicing. Okay, number five. What was the name of Bathsheba's husband who David had killed? Uriah. Okay, very good. Uh, number six. The prophet who says, thou art the man. Someone told me tonight that I was the man. And I said, I, I, I'm insulted by that. But, um, but Nathan. Number seven. Whose son had his hair caught up in a tree? Absalom. And number eight, probably relatively easy because we just talked about it last week and the week before. What did David do that got himself in trouble? Numbering the people, having a census. Okay? So, in theory, if we were to take an average of the number correct um, 12 weeks ago, let's say it was five and a half we should be higher than five and a half. I'm, I'm, and I'm guessing we were probably somewhere around six, um, just based on conversations I had with people. So oh, I got this one wrong, got this wrong. Um, we should be higher than five and a half or higher than six. So hopefully we, we picked up something, okay? Broad comments about anything that we haven't touched on before we get to the lessons learned. Because I want to spend the rest of our time looking at applications. And you are going to be the ones. And I need my volunteers again, by the way. Or uh, you can use the piece of paper that you just used, the back of it. But if you don't, I have, these are just scrap pieces of paper. Um, so don't worry about what's on the other side. It's just stuff that I had. Um, but Sam, do you mind to be in charge of this? Thank you. You could do that. You could do that. Otherwise, just use the paper that you have. What I want you to do is I want you to think about the next slide. And the next slide is going to say lessons learned. And I wanted them to all come up individually. And that's what drives me crazy is when I mess up my PowerPoint, I forget to have them come up that way. Um, I want you to write down at least one, preferably two, of the biggest reasons why you think 2 Samuel is worthy of study, slash, why did the elders say study 2 Samuel, slash, why is it in, why did the Holy Spirit include it? That makes sense? So provide rationale to, we studied 2 Samuel for 13 weeks. We dedicated almost 13 hours to an Old Testament book. Why did we do that? What do we walk away with? So what are your two takeaways, two lessons? Yes, I do. Annotated. I'll give you 60 seconds or so. As you're wrapping up, uh, I'm going to ask Sam when he's done to be in charge of collecting these. Um, I know that these are collection baskets. They are collections tonight of your papers. I don't want anyone to be confused as to what we're doing. It's not the Lord's Day. Um, just you can fold them up or throw them in there. Uh, you don't have to fold them. If your name's on it, I'm not going to read your name. 
Um, and if you want to grab another one, David, you're welcome to. If you don't fill one out, that's fine too. But what I want to do is I want to use you in proving that this was a worthwhile exercise of our time. Now, I have my takeaways that will come up on the screen in a minute all at once. But I want to see if we can... So the theory here is we could have 100 applications to 2 Samuel, 140, two times whatever is here. While that's happening, um, I, I, I do think that we need to, as a congregation, be thankful that we do study the Old Testament as much as we do. Because there are places, and you may have been in churches before, where you never study the Old Testament, or at least it was very rare. You know, once every two years, you'll look at some Old Testament passages like Genesis, uh, and you'll hit some of the high-level stuff. But we do regularly study from the Old Testament, and Bruce is going to be doing, you're your exclusively in the Psalms, right? Well. Well, we're going to touch on a few other passages. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Very good. So, um, very, very good. All right, so I'm not going to read all of these. We will be here all night, but I am going to just pick a couple of them. And then what I'll probably do is sometime over the next few days, I... Why are you laughing at me? Oh. Oh. Uh, I, I will probably make a, a, a compiled list, and, I'm, and I'll email that out or print it out for those of you that want printed version. Here are the top 20 reasons why we studied 2 Samuel. All right. So let me, let me put up my four here just real quickly here. Not that mine are the best. But one that we talked about a lot is that God will always achieve his plans or ways in spite of those who want to stop or otherwise thwart them. We see that with David coming to the throne we see that in the previous studies that we've been on where Saul wanted to do everything he could to stop David in his tracks. God says, if, 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 if I want something done, it is going to get done. Second thing I came up with, and I just copied these from previous lessons going back the last 12 weeks, is praise the Lord should always be our reaction to the good he's done. We see that in the Psalms, and that's going to be a, a, probably a decent segue into some of the things that Bruce is going to cover starting next Wednesday evening. Number three, always consequences, which is what Leanne was talking about just a moment or so ago, to our sinful choices. And number four, this is one of our latest things, without uh, God at the center of one's life, anything wrong can be envisioned and happen. And we see that in, in people murdering and, and, and dying and horrible things happening in Second Samuel. And we see that even today, people that we care about, their lives are falling apart because they've no longer made God their focus. And that's a significant problem. Okay, this person says, the study of David and his very good love for God, and also he was a human and made terrible mistakes. It takes a good raising by a good father or mother to have good children. Like that? I think that's pretty good. I don't know who wrote it. Doesn't matter to me who wrote it, but very good. Okay. We'll pick, a, we'll pick you know, half a dozen or so and go from there, maybe more. Why should we study the book of 2 Samuel? This person has three reasons. 
One, the book of 2 Samuel teaches us about the importance of obeying God's commands. Number two, when people sin, bad things happen. Number three, it always pays to follow God's law. Okay? Open this basket here. Um, good people can do bad things, which is encouragement to us. What is it? With, I don't want that person to answer. But what does that mean? The person says, good people can do bad things, dash encouragement to us. What does that person mean? Say, say again? We're not perfect. Right. And uh, who was it in a study at my house two months ago, three months ago, said something? Was that, did I dream that? <laughs> we had a young people study and someone said, and, and I agree with him, that that phrase, you know, nobody, sometimes we'll run into someone uh, in, in, in a worldly point of view and say, whether I, yeah, so I, I cheated, so I lied, I, I robbed, whatever, but nobody's perfect. Well, that's not what, what we mean by nobody's perfect here, right? Because that's, that's, that's just a casual, easy, kind of slippery way of saying, I can do whatever I want. And that's not what David is saying here. And I like the way David is approaching this here, with, even with his tone that he, he said this, that we are not perfect people. And I was just talking about this today with someone via text, uh, the idea that God does not judge us based on the lowest points of our lives solely. Doesn't mean that the lowest point of your life is not going to be held into account, though the text says he'll remember those sins no more. I can't explain that, by the way, fully. Um, but I'm glad it's true. I trust him. Yeah, Brother Bruce. I heard a sermon today. And this, this Microphone's on the way here. Give it just two seconds. I listened to a sermon today where the speaker pointed out that Satan is after each and every one of us in particular. And he used the example of Job. Hmm. He asked for Job. He asked for Peter. He asked for others. And so when we think uh, we've reached a point where we're good and we don't have to uh, pay attention, uh, that may be when Satan strikes. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus himself was stricken at the, at the weak point in his life there just after he was baptized. And so uh, Satan waited for a more opportune hmm. time. Absolutely. Uh, so, yes, we're not perfect. But if we use that as an excuse to sin, uh, David was a good man. He's in the lineage of Christ. Uh, he fell. And unless we heed, uh, take heed of ourselves... All of us can fall. Uh, and, and it's easy to throw darts at David and uh, others in the, in the scripture, but uh, I like that the, the point of that sermon is that Satan specifically sometimes asks to test us. Absolutely. Even at our, at our highest point. Very good. Excellent observation. And, the, and these, these are certainly open to comments and feedback to others that have. The second thing this person pointed out is that messianic applications or promises to David make up a role of 2 Samuel. And we talked about, touched on some of that uh, as well. Lessons learned. Number one, don't do things out of pride. Thinking about the last two weeks, uh, which is 
David numbering the people. And number two, restrain your children. What do you think the person means by that? Okay. The way one brings up children is important. She said, especially in today's society, goes along. If you, didn't, if you weren't here Sunday morning, and I know some of you weren't here because you were elsewhere, uh, David did a really good job of uh, talking about father's roles. Uh, and just, I won't say, I don't want to spoil it, but go to godsredeem.org and, and check that out. You, you'll enjoy it. It's very, very good. If you are a father, a father-to-be, a son, a daughter, you're a human being, it applies to you. All right. Okay. Um, I'll have to read that one and figure out what... My handwriting is not very good. This person's is, is challenging. It's not that it's not good. It's just they know what they wrote. I just don't know what they wrote. Um, Number one, sin has consequences. So a totally different person all by him or herself said sin has consequences. That's abundantly true. God brings about his will through sinful men. Now that's an interesting uh, way of putting it. Kind of what Bruce was talking about just a moment or so ago. Kind of what that other person was talking about two pages ago. God brings about his will through sinful men. Aside from Jesus, is there a perfect person that was a part of the narrative of the Bible that brings about Jesus and brings about creation and brings about all the different things? Aside from Jesus, and the answer is no. They're all fault-filled. That's not, again, like Bruce said, and like I kind of commented, that's not a license for us just to act however we want, but it is important for us to understand that I, I, I'm important to God as much as David, as much as all these other characters with an asterisk next to it. Okay? Um, okay. God keeps his promises. Number two, God sees and punishes the wicked. And number three, you can't hide sin from God. What do you think that person was thinking about when he or she wrote number three? You can't hide your sin from God. David Bathsheba, that, that just jumps off the page. Because what did David try to do? He tries to hide it. He tries to cover it up. He, um, I'm just glad, being facetious here, I'm just glad that 3,000 years later, we are beyond that, yeah. right? But we do it. We, we've, we cover up our sins. We, um, I have a sermon that I've preached before, and I just call it to cover or to confess. That is the question. Because those are the two options, and, and they both start with C, and so that's nice. You cover your sin, or you confess your sin. And when we try to cover our sin, it doesn't go very well. And been there, done that, right? Okay. Um, actions or sins have consequences. David, a man of God, was not perfect. So we're developing a theme here. These are, and apparently these are things that I didn't, we are resonating. Uh, your sins will find you out. Uh, oh, I like this. God's plans are the plans, and the is capitalized and underlined. What, is that, what, is, what does that mean? If someone says, well, I don't understand what that means, explain that. God's plans are the plans. His are the only ones that count. What else? Very good. 
he will have his vengeance or his way, but, and, but give it a little time and it will come to pass. Absolutely. Just like people say, well, I don't believe in the judgment because there's been no judgment yet. Well, give it a little time. It'll come to pass. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Um, shows the character of David, both good and bad. That's valuable. And there are consequences to actions. Read maybe just uh, two or three more and then open it up for our final comments here. Um, this person says it's a case study in God's covenant keeping, particularly chapter 7. Which chapter 7 we talked about a long time ago. We may go back and read just a couple of verses from chapter 7 here in just a, a minute or so. And it's also a case study in God's long suffering, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's go backwards. How is, it, how is 2 Samuel chapter 12, which is... Um, Chapter 11 is probably the most familiar of the, of the chapters. What's in chapter 11? That's, that's Bathsheba. So that's the infamous, the not-so-fun chapter that we don't like to read. Chapter 12 is the follow-up where Nathan has that conversation uh, with David and says, I'm talking about you. Uh, how is that a case study in God's long-suffering? Okay. Yeah. I thought I saw that. Yeah, so we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, that if you are guilty of certain sins, the consequence uh, is death. Uh, and so the very things that David may have deserved on paper were the things that the Lord spared him of. And... Think about lessons for us now, 2,900 years later, 3,000 years later. The very things that we deserve are the things that God spares us of. And uh, this past Sunday morning, the Lord's Supper talk, um, we talked about that a little bit. Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6. This Sunday, previous Sunday, I forget which it was now, but very good. Okay, we'll do two more, and then I want to look at chapter 7 and, and, and deal with that. One is effective, godly leadership. What do we learn about leadership from 2 Samuel? Let's say you were going to write a book that outlines leadership, and you were going to use 2 Samuel as your main point. What would be your, the big things that this is what leadership is about? Maybe things we haven't talked about up, up till now, tonight at least. Okay. First, God doesn't choose based on the outside. That's a very First Samuel kind of statement, right? Uh, what else about leadership do we learn about David or others? Lead by example. Absolutely, that's a big one. What did you say, Miss Gina? Okay. Very good. So when it comes time to seek a leader the best thing for the people to have done would have gone and asked God for his blessings, for his direction, as opposed to just saying, this is what we want. And we see that play out when the, when the kingdom splits uh, with Rehoboam and Jeroboam to a degree. Anything else about leadership from what we learned in 2 Samuel? Okay. Uh, consequences of sin. This person wrote down three. 
And then number three, what pleases God and what displeases God. I like that. I mean, should really, should we not read every biblical text through the lens of what is it that's going to please God? What is it that will displease God? Everything I'm reading is trying to figure out what makes him happy, what causes him to be glorified, what causes me to draw closer to him. That's what I'm reading for. All right, we'll do one more. Open it up for comments, then I'm going to look at chapter 7 because there's a couple points I want to make from chapter 7. Number one, godly men aren't always perfect, but they are, uh, but they repent. Very good. And number two, God keeps his promises. Are there takeaways, lessons learned that aren't on the screen or that weren't included in the dozen, dozen and a half that I read? Maybe you wrote down one and you think that's the best one in the entire bunch and it's got to be read. And I'll go through and find it right now. Uh, no, but if, yeah, Brother Bruce, if there is something serious that we've missed, we want to make sure we get it here. Brother Bruce, microphone's on the way. I just think that we have a comparison, again, going back to 1 Samuel, of the kingship under one whom the people chose and the kingship under one whom God chose. And we see the, we see the difference, uh, certainly in Saul and, and David. Uh, but one particular note I had uh, that pertains to leadership is that we look at Saul and there at that one point where his men were so hungry and they had taken this vow not to eat and it was commanded that they, they couldn't mm -hmm. eat and they found this honey. Uh, and he was at the point of wanting to kill them. Mm -hmm. And we see this tender nature of David towards his valiant men and those who fought for him, that he honored them and he uh, thought about them. But we ultimately see uh, Psalm, uh, or excuse me, Saul uh, as a rule of disorder, mm. rebelliousness, disobedience and here uh, the coming of David we see this uh, restoration of peace and order uh, a care for his people uh, yeah he he upset God too but unlike Saul who uh, blamed it on someone else continually mm -hmm. uh, David took responsibility yeah. and that's a key to leadership is taking responsibility for Excellent. your action that's a great point Going back to our leadership point. So in, in my mind, I, I'm, I've got two columns. I've got a column for Saul and I've got a column for David. And the, the compare and contrast between the two of them is, is a very powerful way of studying this as well. Let's go to chapter 7 in our final few minutes here. If you think of other big applications we need to make. But I, I want to kind of conclude with chapter 7. I'm glad this person brought up chapter 7. Because it's, there's some beautiful language, and I think a couple of takeaways for us just here. Chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to read maybe three to five verses here. It says, It came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies all around, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside the tent curtains. Let's just pause there for just a moment. What does that one little statement tell us about David? If you know nothing else about David, what does that tell you? Humility. Humility? Absolutely. What else? He's thinking about the Lord. He's, he's putting God 
as paramount, right? He's thinking about godly things. He recognizes that he's been blessed. Yeah, he recognizes his blessings. And rather than saying, I want more, 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 he says, I need to be thankful to God. Uh, I was just talking about this uh, in a study earlier today with someone. The, the two words in Philippians 4, verse 7, verse 6, that I think are underrated that we sometimes forget is comma with thanksgiving. Uh, let your request be made known to God. Uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, let your request be made known to God, comma, with thanksgiving, realizing that you're blessed. And I love the way that, that Brian talked about that, and, and Mitch and um, someone else said something, and I, and I appreciate that as well. Verse 3, uh, Miss Diana is what it was. Verse 3, then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So at that point, if you were to be unfamiliar with what happens in the next couple of verses, what is it that David's uh, laying there at night doing, thinking about? Yeah, he's thinking about the house, right? Not his own house. He's thinking about the Lord's house, right? Except it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt on a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt even to this day, but I moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, this is what I want you to say. I took you from the sheephold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, cut off your enemies, and made you a great name, blessed you like Brian talked about here. Moreover, I will, verse 10, appoint a place, plant them, uh, and the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And then he goes on to say, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you uh, he, verse 13, shall build a house for my name. We talked about this six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. Um, how, do you, how do you feel for David right now? Or what do you feel for David? Yeah, I think there's some disappointment. And is it, is it okay to feel disappointed? Sure. Is it okay? I was listening to uh, a preacher yesterday on a Zoom call, and he said that the answers to our prayers are one of three things. Yes, no, ask me later, or something along that line. I thought that's kind of a neat way of putting it. Um, and um, the whole concept here of this is what I want. I'm going to do a great job for you, Lord. And the Lord says, I appreciate it, but not you. And I have my reasons for it. Disappointment. So I, I feel for David. But yeah, going back to one of the themes that we've talked about, and I didn't plan on talking about this theme very much, but the idea of David's leadership, before we wrap up here in the next two minutes, is that leadership sometimes is saying, it's not my job to do this. Someone else is going to do a better job. The Lord wants them to, I'm going to use my talents elsewhere. But rather than saying, well, if I can't play in the sandbox, no one's going to play in the sandbox. David says, no, we can all work together here on this. That is a sign of leadership and humility, which is what Miss Diana talked about a moment or so ago. 
60 seconds to wrap up. Last thoughts on 2 Samuel. Anything left? Well, I appreciate so very much you participating. Thank you for participating in my um, uh, task tonight. Hopefully it was helpful. I will uh, type out and send you uh, the top 25 or so. Uh, There are packets. They're not folders. They're packets, right, Misty or Bruce? Just packets on the ledge. Uh, Get them before they're gone. Uh, The price goes up next week if you um, don't get one tonight. Look forward to Bruce's study very, very much. Thank you all.